0: homes.com we've done your homework
1: hello and welcome to happier a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas for how to build happier habits into your daily life this week we'll talk about how to control the cubicle in your pocket and why sending an actual invitation to an event can make it more fun I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And in truth, we both definitely walk around with cubicles in our pockets.
0: That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yes, Gretch, this Try This At Home is going to be great for me because the cubicle in my pocket is is loud and and demanding. And before we
1: jump in, Elizabeth, I just wanted to report back to you because in episode 84, I said that I was going to use my wedding china um, because I, I felt like at some point as an adult, I would become comfortable using my wedding china. And um, the other night, one of my three children's literature book groups I hosted, and I used my wedding china.
0: So I have kept my vow, and uh, I actually used it. Good for you. Yep. And so, Gretz, you, you had to hand wash it, or you could put it in the dishwasher?
1: Well, I looked online, and now that pattern says that it's dishwasher safe. But I kind of remember from when I got married, you know, years and years ago, that they said not to. So I did hand wash it, and it was not that big a deal.
0: (laughs) Good. And I'm sure your book group enjoyed eating off lovely china instead of paper plates. (laughs) Um, But, Gretch, speaking of tableware, we have mugs for sale. My favorite thing in the world, mugs. Yes, we have happier mugs. You can get them just with a
1: happier logo, or you can also get them with your tendency and the motto of your tendency on it, if you want to have a tendency happier mug, or you can just get a happier mug. Um, and I'll put the links on my site um, at GretchenRubin.com at, at what'll be happiercast.com slash 89. I'll put a link on there if you want to get a mug.
0: All right, Gretchen. So let's talk about this. Try this at home.
1: Yes. It's to control the cubicle in your pocket. And I wrote about this in my book, Happier at Home, um, because I think one of the things that affects happiness at home is the feeling that you're never really away from work. That, yeah, you have a cubicle, but that cubicle goes with you wherever you go. You stick it in your pocket and you're never really away from it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really used to be that you would work nine to five and no one would call you or contact you after work. Uh, Even when I started working, that was the case. Email was sort of just starting um, and it wouldn't even occur to someone to email about work after hours. Uh, But now most of us can be working all the time. I mean, of course, some of that depends on the nature of your job and your office culture. Like if you're, you know, waiting tables, that's not going to happen probably. But most office jobs, there's stuff that you can be contacted about after work. Right. I mean, I I was
1: very struck by something that Frank Lloyd Wright wrote, you know, the famous architect. He said, where I am, there my office is. My office, me. And that's my feeling. Like I, I just, my office is traveling with me at all time. And so the question is, what do you do with it? How do you handle it? Um, because if you always feel like you're in your cubicle, you're not going to get any feeling of rest, no feeling of relaxation, no time of, uh, time changing. You feel distracted in your home life or in your leisure. It's a big, it's a big thing to deal with in terms of, uh, making your life happier.
0: Yeah. And I also think it depends on where you are in your career. Like oh, yeah. there are times when you're really, you know, climbing whatever ladder, that you want to be the person that's available 24/7 because it makes you stand out, it makes you useful um in your job, it make it, you know it it tells everybody that you're really serious about moving forward. Um but you know as you gain more experience and maybe get older and and have a more settled life like you don't want to be on the playground with your child and then like only focused on answering emails. So it's a balance. Like I've definitely been in that place where all I cared about was work, but you know, now I don't want to be that person who's distracted, you know, during bath time.
1: Well, I think you put your finger right on it, which is the key thing. The first step for this to control the cubicle in your pocket is to say, well, what do I want my experience to be? I, you know, not to just react to whatever, um, people are like, you know, asking for your attention, um, or, but to really say like, well, what do I want my life to look like? What What is my ideal? And really try to figure out, okay, given that I want it to look a certain way, like maybe from 6 to 9 p.m. I don't want to be in contact. Or maybe on the weekends I don't want to be in contact. Or maybe I want to just do it... Ten minutes out of every hour, or whatever it is, or maybe I want to be available all the time. It, but the idea is know what you want and then to figure out, okay well, what are the steps I could do to bring that into into reality rather than just sort of feeling like i 'm out of control and, and i, I, I don 't even really know what I want my life to be it 's just that whatever's happening is making me crazy
0: <laughs> yeah I mean one thing i can I think can help with this is setting expectations of those around you. So if someone emails you about an issue, you can email back and say, oh, uh, yeah, I hear you. I'll deal with it in the morning so that they're not expecting a res- full response that night. And also so that you in your mind have released it from your plate for that night and you've announced you're going to deal with it in the morning. I think and usually people are fine with that. It's just that they want they're thinking of it. So they want to get it off their yeah. plate.
1: Yeah. And I think people sort of get used to different people's patterns too. Like there I definitely have people in my life where I'm like, well that person usually gets back right away or that you that person never answers on the weekend or that person takes a couple days to get back and you just, and you sort of pick up those rhythms from people. So I think also if you set a certain tone, a lot of times people can adjust to that. Now, sometimes you're the bottleneck and other people can't move forward until you respond and then of course you're going to feel a lot greater pressure. If other people are waiting for you. But a lot of times they're not really waiting. It's sort of an evolving situation.
0: So Gretch, now I have to point out, you are a person who sends work emails over the weekend and after hours. Like you send uh, emails about the podcast all the time over the weekend to me and to Kristen, which means we either have to respond or we have to let them stack up and, and feel bad that we're not answering you. Well, I have
1: to confess, it never occurred to me not to do that. Like, I just send an email as soon as something occurs to me because I know if I don't, then I will just forget. Do you think that I should not send emails over the weekend? I don't expect them to be answered, but do you think I should not send them?
0: Well, it doesn't bother me. I don't know how Kristen feels. I will say that I know you, so I know that you're sending it because you don't want to forget for later. So it's like getting it off your plate. You're like, okay, I'm going to toss the ball over there. And it's not that you're demanding an answer that minute. It's just that you don't want to have it in your brain. You want to, because that's your nature is to want to take care of something immediately. Yeah. Should we ask Kristen?
2: Yeah, Kristen. All right. So I kind of try to set a rule for myself to not answer work emails on the weekend, unless it seems really urgent. Mm -hmm. And Nine times out of 10, it's not urgent what you're sending. It's just something that I add to my list of things to do and questions to answer come Monday.
1: Does it annoy you, though, that you even have to read it and process it and then it's stacking up for something to be doing uh, done on
2: Monday? No, it actually, it irritates Dean, my fiance, a little bit more because he always <laughs> he's always mm. like, you say you're going to not work all the time because I'm a little bit of a, I love working. Yeah. I'm just mm. a total busy, busy beaver and I just love working all the time. And I always say to him, I'm like, "Oh, I need to like have separation in my life," and then he'll see me checking my work email. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's not about you; that's yeah, on me.
0: That's funny.
2: So, so
1: Dean would say, "Save the emails for Monday," and then, yeah. But I mean, and sometimes when when somebody goes on vacation, like when my agent goes on vacation, sometimes I'll I'll put in the in the subject line for when you get mm. back or something like that, so she knows that I'm just saying. I'm just getting this off my plate and putting it on your plate, but it's not something you have to think about. But the fact is they, the stuff then does stack up. So for you, you're still processing over the weekend, and then it's still in your inbox on Monday.
2: Yeah, and all that being said, Dean's kind of a workaholic too, so he, shouldn't, <laughs> he, he should not be laughing
0: at me. <laughs> all right, thanks, Kristen.
1: I, but, Lisa, I think this goes to your point about expectations, which is, like, it never even occurred to me that someone might take – uh, like, look askance at the fact that I'm emailing over the weekend. I never even thought about that as being an expectation somebody would have. And so if that's your expectation, maybe you need to tell somebody, like, I would really prefer that you not email me over the weekend, or I'm really not going to respond until Monday so that the expectations are clear.
0: Yeah, a lot of it is about managing that. And then I have to say, Gretch, I find it endearing when you email over the weekend because it's just so you that I, it makes me <laughs> smile.
1: <laughs> oh, what a nice sister! <laughs> um, but so, so some other ways that I feel like um, have helped me manage the cubicle in my pocket is every day I have a quitting time, and I will literally say to myself, "Like now is quitting time," and then I will not answer work emails. Like I will, I might look at them because I'm just checking my phone, but I I don't feel any op- obligation to like run to my office and start answering. And I've also heard of people who will have a quiet period. So say from like mm. seven to ten or something like that. They will say that's a period where I'm not going to do work or I'm not going to check work, and I'm only going to be focused on some other aspect of my life. So to like to have like a slice of time. Oh, well, that's like that. good. And
0: then you can also use your strategy of inconvenience scratch and like put your phone up in the closet or something so that you yes. don't hear it dinging and buzzing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, if it's in your back pocket of your jeans and you're walking around, you're going to be checking that thing the whole time. Um, Yeah, but if you put it away, you're not going to. Um, And another way that I've um, learned to control the cubicle in my pocket is I I made this resolution that now when I'm traveling for work and I'm on an airplane, I only read for pleasure. So Mm. I will work if I'm in a hotel room. Or if I'm eating lunch at the airport before I get on the plane. But when I'm on the plane, I only read for pleasure and it has made my flying so much more fun. And it's a way to disconnect from work because it's like I don't I'm not gonna expect myself to work at this time. And it's it 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 makes the travel more fun and it also helps me feel a break from that feeling of constantly having to work.
0: Yeah, I never get Wi Fi on the airplane. I always just read. Yeah. And some people even want to do like vacation without internet. Um, But I don't think you and I are going to do that anytime soon.
1: No, it wouldn't make it wouldn't make me feel relaxed. It would make me crazy. Like to me, that is not. And again, it's like know yourself. Right. Would you find that more relaxing or would you find that more anxiety provoking?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think I would find it anxiety provoking. I think I would be feeling like I need to call in all the time. You know, I, I prefer to just have access and be able to know what's going on. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's how I feel. And the the fact is, um, I'm going to be really interested to hear what listeners, like what strategies they use to manage um, the cubicle in their pocket, because I think it's really tough. And I'm always reminded of a friend of mine who was like at a big Washington law firm and he was on the work life balance committee. Mm -hmm. And then he quit. And they were like, why are you quitting this committee? It's so important. He said, because my work life balance requires that I go to fewer meetings. And he said they were not (laughs) amused at all. And were really annoyed with him. And so I think it's like it's a hard problem.
0: <laughs> yeah it is we all struggle with it and um it's not going away anytime soon but at least if you're aware of it you can like you were saying you can you can make choices about it yeah so let us know if you do try this at home and what you've done to control the cubicle in your pocket get in touch with us on twitter or facebook drop us an email at podcast at gretchenrubin.com or go to happiercast.com/89 for contact info, images, links, everything related to this episode
1: When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team.
0: Gretchen, this uh, happiness hack comes from Kathy Schultz, who's a great friend of our family. She's a mother of my friend Mindy, who's been on the podcast before. Yes. And I think we've talked about Mr. Schultz as well on the podcast. <laughs> and this happiness hack is to send a proper invitation for gatherings, even for family or friend gatherings. And Mrs. Schultz does this with Thanksgiving. They host a big Thanksgiving every year. And what's really nice is that it's not just like an email. Oh, be there at, you know, 4 p.m. on Thanksgiving. Mrs. Schultz sends an actual invitation of a turkey or something, you know, cute or pretty Thanksgiving-y and it like invites you formally to the Thanksgiving and it just feels so festive and gives you something to look forward to more than just, you know, oh, a call you know
1: right because it's sort of it's 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 sort of a traditional meal that people have together and so you might feel like oh well we don't need an invitation because it's kind of the usual suspects but as she was describing it i was realizing it really elevates the sense of festivity around an occasion if yes. you get an an, an invitation and it, you know some invitations are very elaborate and uh, inexpensive, but then some you could even just have like a plain postcard where you put like fun stamps on it or stickers it, you know it could be very uh, casual, um, but it's the idea of, of actually sending an invitation
0: and I will say it's great to get an actual invitation in the mail, like their thanksgiving invitations, but you can also. Do a paperless post, fun invitation like for our mom's night out, uh, nights for, um, Jack's school. Somebody will like really make a nice invitation for mom's night out, even though it's a paperless post, it'll be a, you know, cute picture and, and, and fun wording and stuff. Which is better than just an email to all the moms saying, hey, mom's night out on Thursday. You know, it it makes it feel like, oh, I should go to this because it's an actual event. Well, and I
1: think this is another aspect of this hack, which is, I think, if it's a thing where you want people to RSVP Mm. or you want them to come, in fact, if they said they would come. I think that the more elaborate the invitation, the more committed people feel to actually coming. And um, I've definitely noticed this in my life, both as a recipient and as a sender, Mm -hmm. that people just take it more seriously, the more kind of effort that went into the invitation. And so if you care about knowing that people are going to show up, um, it's really helpful. And I just think it's fun. It's just it's more fun. So fun. It feels more special. And it's just about this idea of like helping to make time feel special, making events feel marked in time it just it sets it apart from kind of the casual day-to-day life in a way that's really uh, a real happiness booster.
0: Yeah. So thank you to Kathy Schultz, and I will see you on Thanksgiving.
1: <laughs> so listen, now it's time for a know-yourself-better question. And I found this question um, when I posed it to the people around me to be highly instructive. And the question is, if the people around you could change one of your habits what would they change? Mm. So Elizabeth, if the people around you could change one of your habits, what would they change?
0: Well, you know, as I've said many times, um, Adam, my husband would like for me to be neater, but I, can, <laughs> I think I can narrow it down even further than that because that's sort of general. Yeah, I think the two habits that he would like to change most for me is one, um, the habit of leaving my shoes in the living room uh, and like the shoes sort of stacking up, you know, over the days. Mm -hmm. Um, so he would like me to change that habit. And he would like me to change the habit of creating a pile of clothes next to the bed, um, that builds up over, you know, a week. I think he would, if I could just take my shoes into the bedroom every time I go, and if I could not have that pile of clothes, I think he would be, Uh, Very happy.
1: Well, this is kind of off topic, but can I make a suggestion about the shoes? Yes. What about just getting a basket and putting the shoes in the basket? There's something about having something in a container. It would be just as convenient for you to put them in the basket. And for him, it might make it feel a lot neater. Could you try that?
0: Mmm. I could try that. Um, <laughs> yeah, because then we could put Jack's shoes. Because Jack's shoes also tend to get scattered around. Yeah, yeah. Bonus happiness hack: <laughs> put your shoes
1: in a basket. Um, anything feels neater in a basket or on a tray. In a tr- on a tray.
0: That is true. So, Gretchen, what about you? What What habits do those around you? want you to change.
1: Well, okay, so I asked Jamie and uh, he said he wished that I would stop leaving empty diet soda cans around the apartment Mm. because I drink a lot of diet soda and I leave the cans around. And I I have to say, I, I mentioned before that Jamie doesn't give words of affirmation, but he also doesn't criticize very much. And he had never really mentioned this to me. And I was like, wow, if I knew that that bugged you, I would make a much bigger effort. So I feel like this was a useful. It was useful for me to know that. And I'm going to really try to make a better, more of an effort. So we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that That seems like a doable yeah. habit to change for yeah, you, that's... the upholder. I feel like you can manage that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because notice he didn't say stop drinking diet soda, which I would resist. But he just yes. said stop re- leaving the empty diet soda cans around. And so that's that's easier. And Eliza said, and this one surprised me. She said she wanted me to stop licking yogurt off the spoon.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: (laughs) And I was like, that seems so specific. I'm like, what exactly is it? And she said she does does because what happens, you know, I have this like long torture relationship with Greek yogurt. Like I love it. So sometimes I had to give it up because I was eating too much of it. But now I can't eat some.
0: That was your precious. It was my precious.
1: The Greek yogurt. But anyway, I've kind of mastered my my overwhelming desire to eat. Greek yogurt all the time. Um, but I like to dip the spoon in and lick it off so that it lasts longer. And I didn't really she sort of protested this a few times, but I didn't really know that it really like rose to this level. Mm. So now I will just eat my yogurt in private and not eat it in front of her anymore. I, I I intend to eat it the same way, but I will just not expose her to it. So so the question is is like, okay, well this is maybe helping us with our relationships, but does it help us know ourselves better? And I think it does help you know yourself better because one of the things you want to know about yourself is how are other people responding to you, you know? And, like, are there things that you're doing that other people would really prefer that you change? And for both of us, it seems like there's kind of some manageable things that we could do that might really um, strengthen our relationships with other people.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely easier when it is something like take your shoes to the bedroom, you know, rather than something more existential. I think those are harder to change. Yeah. You know, like I'm sure if I asked Sarah, she would say, well, I wish you would like not get so crazy about certain things that happen. But it's a lot harder to sort of maintain your sanity in the moment than it is to carry a pair of shoes.
1: Well, and I know if we asked mom, what habit would mom want to change about me?
0: Um, That you're snappy? No,
1: my hair twisting.
0: Oh, your hair twisting? <laughs>
1: Yeah, she could uh, want me to stop twisting my hair.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. Which is so funny because your hair twisting doesn't bother
1: me in the least. Well, and it doesn't bother Jamie or Eliza or Eleanor, which is fortunate. But it is it is a very, very deeply embedded habit. And um, it's one that would be very difficult for me to change. And I don't really have a deep commitment to changing it. And so for her, I would just be like, yeah, that's not going to happen. But the diet soda cans, I think I can do. Yes. Um, And here's another um, aspect of why asking yourself this question, I think, can help help you know yourself better. Because one of the things that I found when I was looking at people's desire to change their habits when I was writing better than before, is that there's a certain number of people who have what I would call a red herring habit, Mm. which is a habit that they they say they're going to change, but they really don't intend to change. And often it's because the people around them keep telling them they need to change this habit. And so they're like, yeah, 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 I'm going to do that. Like, oh, everybody around me is telling me that I need to exercise and I'm totally going to exercise. But they really have no intention of starting to exercise. Or, yeah, everybody's telling me I need to do a better job of managing my my medication. But they really don't. They're just saying that they want to change that habit as a way to get other people off their back. Mm -hmm. And I think you don't have to change just because people want you to change. But I think you need to be honest with yourself. People are telling me, This is the one habit they want me to change, but I'm not going to. Because then you're honest with yourself.
0: Yeah, and maybe you should just be clear with people so that they stop bugging you about it. It's because they think you want to change it that they probably keep on mentioning it. If you just said, you know what, I'm not going to start exercising, you can let that go. Uh, Maybe they would. Yeah. Although to be clear, everyone should exercise. So,
1: And I think that's where you can, by really saying... This is what other people want to change. I do not want to change. Then you're like, then you, then you're like okay, do, is that the person that I want to be? Because sometimes by constantly mollifying other people, we live in sort of a, a state of suspended animation. Oh, yeah, tomorrow. Oh, January for sure. Oh, after the summer, I'm totally going to do this. It's like, are you really going to do it? Is that really a habit that you're going to change mm. or not? So I think this, is a, this question can help kind of dial in on that issue which can be um, a big a big issue for people trying to change their lives for the better.
0: Absolutely. So, Gretchen, next up, we have a listener question. Uh, one way to reach us is to leave a voicemail question at 774-277-9336 or, easier to remember, 77-HAPPY-336. Gretchen, let's listen.
1: Hi, Gretchen and Elizabeth. This is Kristen calling from Austin, Texas. Gretchen, I've been a follower of yours for a long time. I love your work, and I am loving your podcast. My listener question is, you've said many times that we cannot change our tendency. So I'm just curious, what do you think is the origin of our tendency? Do you believe it's part of our hereditary hardwiring or a product of our upbringing, background, and experience? or a combination of the two, or something else
2: entirely. I'm sure you have a theory. I hope you'll share it. Thanks very much. I'll be listening.
0: You know, this is so interesting. I'm I'm dying to hear. Where do you think our tendencies come from?
1: Right. So I love a, a chance to talk about the four tendencies, of course, which is my big personality framework that uh, divides everybody into upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. So Kristen's asking, Is it part of our hereditary hardwiring? And I think that it is. I really, you know, I think these are tendencies that we bring into the world with us. Sometimes it's hard to tell what tendency a child is, but um, sometimes it's easy to tell what a child is. And I think by adulthood, everybody fits firmly within one of the tendencies, though sometimes the tendencies kind of tip. You might be a questioner who tips to rebel or tips to upholder, but you're still very much a questioner. And, you know, and sometimes people are like, oh, well, you know, it's I think it's because of my parents or or whatever. But I really think that this is hardwired into our nature. And and of course, you know, it might be easier to be a questioner in Silicon Valley than it would be to be a questioner in North Korea. You know, so you're going to show that tendency differently depending on your circumstances. But I really think that it's just part of it's just built into who we are.
0: Which I guess explains how you can have two very strict, uh, you know, upholder type parents and then they have a rebel child. That's just the way the child's born. Yeah. Or the Alex P. Keaton, you know, where you have two sort of hippie parents (laughs) and then you end up with this kid who's, you know, very regimented and and, um, high strung.
1: Yeah. No. And I think that I think what happens is that with time and experience, people often recognize the limitations of their tendency and figure out kind of how to do things differently so that so that they get the advantage of the strengths of a tendency without the disadvantages of the of the limitations or the weaknesses of the tendency. So then people sometimes experience their tendency to be. Uh, to be easier or better as they get older. But I, I think they're still within that tendency. It's not that they actually have switched tendencies. It's just they figured out how to manage themselves better. So like as an upholder, for instance, like it's we often too readily go along with things because we just can make ourselves do anything. But I've learned to be more of a questioner and to say like, but do I have to do this? Mm-hmm. Should I do this? Do I want to do this? But it, it's still I have to go through that process where it's a questioner. That's like their first instinct right out of the gate.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of people f- want to change their tendency. We get emails about that all the time. Yeah, And it's really not about changing it. It's about managing it and making yes. it work for you.
1: Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Don't change yourself, but just deal with yourself. And um, if anybody wants to take a quiz or like read more about uh, the tendencies, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, if you go to happiercast.com, dot com slash quiz. You can take a little short quiz that will tell you your tendency and give you a little report so you can know about yourself. But I so appreciate this question from Kristen because I I love any chance to, to talk about the four tendencies because I'm obsessed.
0: Yes, you are. <laughs>
1: Okay, demerits, gold stars. Elizabeth, you're up first with a demerit.
0: Yes, Gretchen. Um, I, you know, I've said maybe a thousand times on this podcast that we're renovating our house. It's still <laughs> going on. Um, Part of that is we're doing the outside of the house. And um, in doing the outside of the house, everything's just completely messed up. And you know, we're in a drought in California. yeah. So we just stopped watering because we knew that Everything was going to be changing out there anyway. There was no point in like keeping the grass going. Um, however, Adam and I did not think about our trees just because we're not outdoorsy and ah. we just didn't think about it until this landscape um, architect said, "Well, your tree here is is dying. What are you planning to get rid of it?" And we're like, "No, this is our big beautiful tree." And we were like, oh, we were wondering why so many pine needles were falling. I mean, we're just idiots. <laughs> um, And so my demerit is that we have not been watering our trees at all because we just did not think about it. Um, And so we might lose some of them. So now, of course, I'm trying to water, but it's hard to remember. I think I need to set an alarm for that. But if we end up losing some of our great trees, I'm really going to be heartbroken over it. And I just feel, you know, so stupid. Like, who wouldn't realize you have to keep watering your trees? It's just dumb. But I have to say, I completely sympathize with this because it
1: feels like trees are, like, doing their own thing. You feel like grass is kind of this domesticated thing that needs to depend on you, but trees feel like they're tapped into the earth and they're so monumental. I don't know. I I wouldn't feel the same kind of responsibility for a tree somehow. I mean, now that you say it, it makes perfect sense, but I can, I would a hundred percent have done the same thing.
0: Yeah. So, well, I, I, yeah, you and I aren't exactly tuned in to such matters, (laughs) but anyway, so now we're going to we're watering and hopefully we can save the trees. Um, And hopefully this drought won't last forever because, you know, a lot of stuff is dying. Yeah. But anyway, Gretch, tell us your gold star. I want
1: to give a gold star to Curriculum Night. I was just thinking about the fact that uh, at our school, both the school that Eliza and Eleanor go to and our school when we were growing up, Elizabeth, had curriculum night, which is when parents would come in and hear about what their children were going to be learning about that year and their philosophy of teaching. And you would get to meet the teachers. And I was thinking, you know, in all the years that I've been a parent, I think I've only missed curriculum night one time. And like every year, I the minute the school schedule comes out, I'm like frantically writing in curriculum night um, to make sure that I have it on my calendar. And when I went to a curriculum night recently, I sent an email photograph to mom and dad, just sort of like, oh, this is what I'm doing, because it's part of our update. You know, you just send these little random updates. I'm sure I sent it to you, too. Like, oh, here I am, at curriculum night. And mom wrote me back like, oh, I have so many fond memories of going to your curriculum nights. And, And I was thinking, you know, it's probably a tremendous pain for the school to have all these parents tromping through and to do all these presentations and stuff. But I feel like I get such a better sense of everything that's happening at school, just this one in a few hours. And um, I was just thinking how much richer my life is just for these these opportunities to, like, touch base with my kids' school experience. So I just want to give schools... A gold star for curriculum night.
0: Yeah, Making the effort.
1: Yes, making the effort because it really does make a big difference.
0: I have to say, Gretchen, Jack's curriculum night, they told us about Singapore math and that just made my brain explode. So I'm still (laughs) trying to put that together, working on it. Adam and I, are we have to watch some YouTube videos because we're not getting it. But um, it was great to hear what he's going to be learning in first grade. And that's it for this
1: episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Control the cubicle in your pocket. Please let us know, what do you do to control the cubicle in your pocket? We are dying to hear your strategies and tips.
0: Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer, who is fairly good, it seems, at controlling the cubicle in her pocket. (laughs) Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com.
1: And if you like the show, it really does help us. If you tell a friend, um, you may have to show that friend how to subscribe to a podcast. Take one minute and show them how to subscribe. Rate us, review us, recommend us. It really, really helps. Word of mouth is the best.
0: Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Craft.
1: And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward.